0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform and I am here with my long lost friend, Susan Kleiner. Susan, do you want to say hello to everyone?
1: Hello to everyone. Hope you're doing well.
0: So a couple things before we get going. Um, One, I apologize for the hat if you're watching on YouTube um i know it casts some shadows i was trying to get a ring light working and couldn't figure that out um also we're using so a,
1: said you put a hat on to create a shadow
0: well i i had trust me you don't want to see like the I hair know. i'm
1: just teasing right,
0: so um yeah the um so yeah the uh the hats casting a shadow and then um my AirPods aren't working, so we're using the audio off of my computer. So I apologize if it's not up to the normal high standards that people have come to expect from us. But anyway, so uh, Susan, can you walk people through um, how they can buy your books and, and reach out to you and things of that nature?
1: Definitely. Thanks, Paul. So again, really happy to be here again with all of you. Um, My website is drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. You can find all my stuff on there, but you can go to any of your local bookstores or online bookstores and find my books as well. If you're looking for me online, I'm not the most frequent poster, but you can find me on Instagram at Power Eat, Facebook, Dr. Susan Kleiner.
0: And I am Paul Nobles. I'm the founder of Eat to Perform. And basically, if you like what you hear um, in this podcast and you're looking for one-on-one coaching, you can go there, uh, you put in your information or, or actually on the Bottom right, there is a little button that allows you to talk directly to a coach, which is kind of nice because that coach can then walk you through everything that you should um, expect with what's coming up with your Eat Form Plan and how we help you reach your goals and things of that nature. So, um, hopefully, uh, we've made that process fairly easy. I know a lot of places uh, similar to us make it really difficult um, to kind of know what exactly it is they're getting into, right? And so that's why we tried to make the process as transparent as possible. And if you follow our information on Facebook, you probably know that's kind of how we do things, right? So today I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, we're actually at the cusp of Halloween, but it's sort of kind of... weirdly binds into thanksgiving christmas hanukkah kwanzaa right all the holidays that sort of come into things And and i wanted to sort of break down in a very simplistic way um why people run into issues and what they can do to kind of deal with those issues and then um maybe we can walk through some scenarios that could be helpful um, in navigating what can be kind of a troublesome time for some people. Right. So um, I'm curious, Susan, um, what's your policy on having things in your house? Like, like foods that, you know, I mean, neither of us are in favor of the naughty and nice list type of foods, right? right? right. But I assume that there might be some foods, or are you the type of person that is like, if you do indulge into something, it's better to have it in the house or or not?
1: So it's highly individualized. I think um, the big thing with me is to um, understand uh, the the issues that each of my clients face. And so if you're living alone, you are in control of your whole environment and you don't have to accommodate for anyone else. And so then it's up to you, what works for you. Some people will say, I can never have chips in the house because I'm gonna eat the whole bag. And I say, well, if you really would love to continue eating chips on an occasion, then let's just buy an individual serving bag. Um, and one great big giant jumbo bag is not an individual serving. So, so we work on, um, maybe you go to your vending machine and you get an individual serving size and that's what you keep in the house. Um, uh, other folks say, I just don't ever want to eat this food again. And that's totally fine too. And, and we can eliminate it. So many people are not the only person in control of their environment, and they need to accommodate a family or another person or roommates, etc. Roommates are easy; you just put everybody's name on their own food, and that food is off limits to you. You can do the same thing with a another person in your house, whether it be a partner, spouse, child, parent. Um, For instance, my story is my husband loves chocolate, and I mean really good, deep, dark chocolate, and he is an aficionado like others might be of some kind of alcohol uh, or something like that. So when I was younger and less um, maybe in control, (laughs) as I am now... um, I, it, it, he had his box, like it was his box of his treats. And nobody, not my kids, nobody else went into that box. And that was not because he didn't want to share. It was because in our headspace, it was important that that was hands off. And, uh, and that's why we could have it in the house and nobody overindulged in the way that they wanted to. So so different strategies for different people.
0: So my strategy is very similar to your husband's other than the fact that there are no rules anyone can eat. So we have a candy cupboard, right? Mm-hmm. And very similar to what you described where it's, you know, G.R. Deli, dark chocolates and Choco Love and, and kind of the higher end type stuff. It, and it's sort of funny. Cause I'm I'm certainly not a, a a Snickers snob, you know. I I would have a Snickers, um, but I would much prefer to have the chocolates that I like more, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've always had, ever since my daughters were very little, we've always had a candy cupboard, right? Mm-hmm. And in that candy cupboard. Or all manner of candies, there's jelly bellies and there's there's chocolates and there's all this kind of stuff, right? And what's amazing about it is that my kids grew up knowing where that is at all times, with no restrictions on eating it ever. I mean, I'm totally open to the fact that my kids are weird, right? Um, but I do think it was the fact that they could have that permission that allowed them to you know not really want it right um and when they did have it they didn't typically indulge in a way that you know was not healthy right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's just the way I did it that's the way my family did it right um I've talked a little bit in the past that uh you know, in, you know, my oldest daughter's 21 years old, um, never been punished. N- n- my kids have never been punished in any way, shape, or form. Um, we've used leverage, right, to kind of motivate behavior one way or the other, but we we don't parent in a way that is, we parent from the standpoint of abundance and kind of Um, using leverage in a positive way, we really don't focus on the negative so much. And so um, how'd that work out? I mean, so far so good, (laughs) you know? uh, But once again, you know, I think this stuff is, is highly personal. That said, when you introduce an element of underfeeding, Right. So that's what a dieting cycle is. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, and, and this is really important for, I think, everyone to understand that if you're on a diet,
1: mm-hmm. right,
0: the whole idea is that you get off a diet at some point. And so if you're getting off a diet, that means your calories need to normalize. What does that mean? What that means is, is that if you were an active person, and if you're listening to this podcast right now with me and Dr. Susan Kleiner, you probably have some level of activity. Does that mean that it's extreme activity? No, it could mean hiking, walking, jogging, you know, um, biking, um, things that aren't extreme. Um, I mean, we haven't talked in so long that you are probably not familiar with my obsession with pickleball now, which I'm. Oh sure, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I know.
0: Which, which I'm sure. <laughs> and, and, and I up. think
1: the rest of the country is starting to catch up with you.
0: Yeah, the it, it is it is amazing how how popular it is. In fact, I think that might end up being um, the next topic for our next podcast. But the um, but what I what I think happens for a lot of people is they don't do the get off the diet part mm-hmm. where they're feeding their performance and where they're getting better at ac- exercise and things of this nature. And they sort of feel trapped, right? And so in that trap, maybe they have a list of naughty and nice foods. Um, they're keeping certain foods out of their house. You know, I, I implement the strategy, same as you, um, where, you know, I don't, I don't really keep chips in the house. Um, the, uh, it's something oh, ice cream is another good example, right? If I want ice cream, I've at least got to want it enough to go get it. Right. right. And, and I'm typically going to get it from, you know, like a ice creamery shop or, or whatever. I'm not going to buy like a gallon tub. Um, just because I know that I can't overconsume that easily. Right. That could be something that that I go to. Chocolate, not so much. You know, um, it's just one of those things, especially if you're if you're like you're saying, I mean, I'm probably not a connoisseur of the way that your husband is, but you know, when you're having dark chocolate with like almond and sea salt on it, it's just not something that you're gonna overconsume that much. Um, but you're much more likely to overconsume it if you're under eating most of the time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, if I think about when I have chocolate throughout the day or or whatever, it's usually followed by a really big salad, kind of a nutrient dense kind of salad thing or whatever I eat for dinner, you Mm -hmm. know? And what I think happens for people is they have a salad, salad might have 350 calories, for the day they eat somewhere in the neighborhood of 1100 calories. And now all of a sudden, beer, wine, food, uh, candy, foods that are easy to overconsume get put in front of you, and then you just can't stop.
1: Right. right?
0: And people, I mean, well, it's not a false correlation, right? It's an actual correlation. If you eat 350 calories and you've been overconsuming, as an example, you're probably going to lose a little weight on that day or it's going to show up in the next few days. But that gets to a point of diminishing returns over time, right? And so what Susan advocates for, what E-Deform advocates for is... That most of your life, you should be consuming an adequate amount of calories. And while that is highly individual, almost for you know, there's very rare instances where that would be less than 2,000 for a woman, where that would be less than 2,500 for a man. Right? We're we're trying to be active individuals that are you know being propelled to go out and do things, right? Experience life. And, you know, I know people have trouble with those numbers sometimes, right? Because they're eating 1400 calories and that they believe that's where their maintenance is. Maintenance is one of these numbers and we've talked about that on the podcast that your body will adjust both up and down, right? Once again, we all kind of know you hit a plateau over time as your body adjusts to lower food. What most people don't know is that as you raise food, that's actually where your calories want to be, where where your body wants wants to be fat, right? And so as your calories move up, your your maintenance moves up, right? As your body is just adjusting naturally, you're a little bit more... um, not necessarily active, but you kind of get out the chair more throughout the day you're you're inclined to walk around the pond, whereas you might not be if you were eating less. All these things sort of matter as it relates to overall caloric burn and what your calories end up being for the day. But my point being is that if you're overly repressing calories and I mean, let's be real here. You're not going to crave kale in that scenario, right? You're <laughs> right. going to crave something with calories. And right. a lot of people that sort of demonize sugar as an example, and, and I think Susan and I probably share this opinion that sugar is not particularly helpful, right? But the you can see it the other way too. Some people are over-reliant on nuts in that scenario, right? What does sugar and nuts have in common? They are calorically dense, and they're going to provide you with that need that your brain is saying, hey, I'm hungry, right? It's not going to be hungry for 40 calories worth of kale. It's going to be hungry for 400 calories worth of candy bar, right? Mm-hmm. And so so a lot of this is is, is kind of intuitive, but, but, but my main point being is that if you consume an adequate amount of calories, the tendency to just have a little chocolate after dinner is easy. If you consume 300 calories and you, you know, so let's say that my dinner, I would say normally is somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 700 to a thousand calories. Mm -hmm. Right. In that scenario, couple, couple pieces of dark chocolate and I'm good. I'm mostly just like, you know um giving my brain what it wants in that scenario right. a
1: little taste sensation yeah. yeah a
0: little taste sensation that's a good way to say it and so so if i'd eaten 300 calories right and i'm all of a sudden starving at nine thirty, well it's whole candy bar at that time right. you know because right. i'm not going to want to go back and make dinner more dinner right and i think just people aren't in tune and then the other thing that people say, well, you know, I, I don't get really hungry. You know, part of hunger signaling in general is that your body does adjust. So like if, as an example, let's say in your salad, you've got a lot of leafy greens, you've got a lot of fiber in there, and you've got a lot of, you know, um, chicken protein, right? Well, those things are going to be a little bit more difficult for your body to process. And so therefore it's going to kind of change the way that your body would be hungry. And so people say that to me all the time. It's like, well, I just can't eat all this food because, you know, I'm eating this other stuff, which is great. Right. But you may need to just, you may need to adjust how often you eat if you're eating overly nutrient dense foods all the time, so that you get an adequate amount of calories, because then you know things sort of sneak up on you. But I think there's also a case for kind of allowing for a little bit, like i I actually think that what Susan and I are talking about related to chips or ice cream, is actually a good strategy for almost everyone. I I don't feel like many people do well with naughty and nice lists. I just think that the minute you say you cannot have something, now this is obviously separate of celiac and diabetes and all these things, right? Like, so we're not having that discussion. Mm -hmm. We're just having the discussion of, the minute you say I can't have something, I want it more, I want it so bad, right? And so so allowing for some flexibility, you know, which is why, by the way, when you hear low-carb advocates or even low-fat advocates um, talk about their way of doing it, they don't just talk about it casually, right? They talk about it as if you were doing something wrong, right? And that is not scientifically backed, right? Mm the the there's a lot of nuance with all this stuff and so the big takeaway in my view related to overconsumption during the holidays is that whether it's candy whether it's alcohol whether it's highly caloric food people tend to overadjust the rest of the week and then we sort of get into this imbalance where they're overconsuming on weekends because there's a holiday party or there's one or two events that come up and then all of a sudden it's like all salads for Monday through Thursday you know and what we see happens the data that we see is that if the person actually moves back to their normal calories those calories on the weekend naturally come down because you don't end up overconsuming and truthfully we don't have a lot of data on that one, right? Because what happens is, is the people that um, we will see people log reasonable weekends, but when weekends get out of hand, they don't log those weekends.
1: Right, right.
0: And, and it really does kind of show you that when people kind of take the wheel, often they, they make wrong decisions. And so, you know, my personal thought process with all of this is that you really need someone in your corner that kind of knows what you don't know, because naturally you're going to go, well, I overdid it. I'm feeling a little bloated on Monday. It's not normal to just go back to the way that you normally eat. Right. But your body is going to ultimately process that. And then the other thing too, is that if you have, let's say, twelve hundred calories of alcohol, right? You're you're taking something that is not nutrient dense, right? And now all of a sudden you're trying to move to a way where you may be setting up setting yourself up for failure during the week, right? Because let's say that you're trying to intuitively eat after a bad weekend away well if you intuitively eat, let's say 900 calories you know you might set up set yourself up a failure on tuesday and wednesday right mm-hmm. and so so I, I think that a lot of the people when we look at the pitfalls that people see here they are right they have kind of naughty and nice list thoughts related to You know drinking having things in their house things of this nature and and like susan was saying and i totally agree with this for every single person the rules are different Mm -hmm. right but if you can test kind of what we're talking about right like with the ice cream idea it's like i like ice cream that's the other thing too eating out so eating out in my in my view it sort of needs to be kind of a home run right like if it's not like for instance um i have no idea what domino's pizza tastes like or papa john's there is a pizza place there's two actually there's actually really good pizza here in the twin cities Um, but there's two that we like and both of those situations are home runs in my view Right. They're they're, uh, they're at least eight out of ten, right? On the scale of pizza. And one is is we go to every Friday night and and we love it. It's coal-fired pizza. And then another one is kind of Minnesota style pizza that's done really, really well. Um if you just if you if and I'm not making the case that you can't have Papa John's, right? Um, or or Domino's or whatever brand. Well, oh, you can't
1: know. if it's if it's your favorite, yeah. if that's what you think yeah. is the best, then yeah, I was just I was
0: literally right. just telling someone that I missed the craft box of lasagna because when I was a kid, I used to make those. You know. <laughs> so pe- people ask me my best my favorite lasagna, it's craft lasagna. I loved it when I was a kid, and I'm absolutely certain if I ate it today, I would love it because it would remind me of being a kid, right? You know? But I can think about it, you know. If you had a move, if you were having a movie night with your family and stuff like that, and and you want to get Papa John's, I mean, the thing about really nice pizza is it's also really expensive, you know. Right. So so cost is certainly a factor, and I'm I'm not a snob related to any of those things, but in general, you know, at least tie it to something like a special occasion, right? Mm-hmm. Where where you don't get into that rut where it's you know drive through mcdonald's on monday chipotle on tuesday and then all of a sudden you realize whoa things are really out of hand right
1: Right. so So i want to know what is minnesota style pizza
0: so it's uh yeah so it's thin crust typically right and then um i would say mostly meat it's it's actually some of it's a little too greasy for my taste. The place that we go to doesn't um do it that way but but it's uh it it it's <laughs> it's not the healthiest pizza for sure you know <laughs> the the coal fire pizza is actually uh is actually pretty good um calorie wise you know all the all the different things it's more artisan
1: see when style. I eat pizza I'm not thinking about that but I am not thinking about calories, I'm, but no. I am mindful of, yeah. am I hungry or am I, am I satisfied? That's, yeah. that's what I'm looking for and I've, have I enjoyed it? And I think that one of the things that I try to guide and coach my clients with is preparing themselves mentally for this time of year and deciding what their goals are, before they head into this time of year. So it, it can be, they can vary widely. I mean, some people's goals are just making it through the holidays mentally healthy, and not, you know, coming down uh, in deep depression or anxiety because of the inter- family interactions that they have to deal with that are really, am um, singularly focused to this time of year and uh, or getting overly anxious about pleasing everyone with the gifts that they're buying or those kinds of things that that's their goal food is not really their big problem at this time of year on the other hand loads of people have food issues that are also tied to this time of year that at holiday time, they're now back with the family, and the family, or whoever whoever they spend their time with, expects that you clean your plate, or or says, "Well, didn't you like it?" If you don't take seconds, or you know all the things that that are sort of childhood <laughs> um, uh, rollovers that that we have to learn how to deal with now that we're adults and that we can respond and we can be in control of our own bodies Um, or is it truly making sure that you are mentally and physically prepared to go into the holidays in the mindset of i know what my goals are i know what i want to accomplish i know what i want to enjoy Uh, And I'm going to keep myself in my regular fitness routine, or I'm going to continue talking to my therapist. I'm not going on vacation or, you know, whatever those, those things may be those tools that you have that keep you on track. But, but the biggest one for me is going into the, the holiday time and the party time um, mentally prepared and not just walking in, not thinking about it at all, and then and then falling into the the trap of uh, of the after party syndrome.
0: Well, and then what ends up happening is that if you go in without a thought process, you realize that, oh my goodness, there's a lot of highly consumable foods. And I don't have any strategy. Right. right? We talked about this in one of the the last podcasts where like, if you walk in with a plan, it's going to always be better than being hit, you know, with a brick brick in the face. Right. And so, so that's helpful. Okay. So let's end there because I want to do this as a series of three, but you gave me a really good thought on what the next one should be. So we'll Talk to everyone about that, and then that podcast is going to be what those goals should be, how to manage those goals, and things of this nature on more of a um, calorie level, right? So Mm -hmm. we'll talk to everybody here in a bit.